But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Thank you, Karen. Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters. Let's uh, jump into Romans chapter 10. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and find your place there. If you are new or visiting with us, we're walking right through the book of Romans over the last few months, and now we find ourselves right in the middle, chapter 10, of what has been called the puzzle of Romans. Romans 9 through 11 are some difficult, uh, can be called by some confusing but yet incredibly challenging and rich chapters of Scripture. So we've been in Romans 9 the last few weeks. We find our place in Romans 10 this morning, so go ahead and find your place there. I just want to remind you, if you are uh, desiring to go a little deeper into our Sunday message, we have something called Behind the Message. So we'll plug for that every Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, I'm one of our teaching pastors, we're on a panel together. It's a Q&A kind of format, and uh, it's set up like a study group, but I encourage you to Check that out. That's Wednesday nights at 6.30, and we'll go a little deeper into the Sunday message there together on Wednesday nights. And also, I just want to remind you this morning, it's going to feel a little bit different. I'm going to, I'm going to preach a little bit less, I promise. I'm going to cut the time a little bit. And then we're going to end in a season of, well, in the first service, it's really sweet, but a time of, of prayer together. And these cards you see across the front are from the first service of people just writing the names of lost people in their lives that we're praying for as a church family and then going to share the gospel with. So we're going to do that together in just a few minutes. But this, this walk through Romans 10, and that's going to set the trajectory for our season of prayer in just a few minutes. So let me give you, let me give you the context again. We're coming out of Romans 9, uh, and Romans 9, if you remember, begins as the Apostle Paul is heartbroken about something. Romans 9 begins, a few weeks ago we looked at that, it begins and Paul says, I have unceasing anguish, I have this unending grief in my heart, and as you read those verses at the beginning of chapter 9, you're like, Paul, man, you come out of Romans 8 and the height of gospel truth, then you hit Romans 9 and Paul says, I am deeply grieved. We've been walking through what, what was up with the apostle Paul, well, Paul was grieved when he thought about his Jewish brothers and sisters in the flesh that did not receive, had not received their Messiah. They had not believed in Christ and they were condemned and lost and separated from the promises of God because they had not received their Messiah. Paul's heartbroken about that at the beginning of Romans chapter 9. And he goes on down and then he, he realizes it's a, it's a thing that he was personally broken about. And then he realizes... The rejection of Jesus by the Jewish nation could be a stumbling block for the whole world. 
And Paul realizes that, so, so, he, so he asks this question basically, does Israel's rejection of their Messiah, for now, by the way, and we'll get to Romans 11 next week, does Israel's rejection of their Messiah mean God's promises have failed? In other words, when you look at Israel's rejection, is it as though God's plan and God's purpose for the world has failed. And that brings us to verse 6 of Romans 9. And Paul says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. God's promises will not fail. And that was incredibly encouraging for us to remember, how can we trust the great promises of Romans 8 are not going to fail? How can we trust that God's word can be believed? And Paul says, God's word has not failed and we had this big truth that kind of guided us through Romans 9 we said God's redemptive plan will not fail we can trust his plan and Paul in order to support that statement that idea dives deep down into the character of God in Romans 9 and we've been treading through some deep waters and heavy waters that Paul is declaring listen it is not about man who wills or man who runs it is about God and his mercy and God and his compassion and God and his sovereignty God operates in the realm of salvation and his redemptive plan with absolute sovereignty and he declares that and he teaches us that. And the point is, God is sovereign over his plan. He's going to carry his, carry his plan of redemption out. It is God who shows undeserved mercy. It is God who makes choices based on who God is. And here's my hope. I was thinking about this coming here this morning. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this week. You can wade through Romans 9 and try to figure out all the hows of God does things and it's just going to cause your mind to spin I pray we have come out of Romans 9 as a church and we stand in awe of who God is it is God that shows mercy it is God that shows compassion it is God who is the potter and we are the clay remember that he has absolute right and authority over his creation and you can rest in the statement of Paul, God's promises will not fail. I even had an email from somebody this week who was walking through a very difficult, weighty time in their life, and they referenced back to Romans 9 to say, listen, in the midst of this, everything seems to be coming unraveled. Romans 9 has helped me to be reminded God's plan will not fail, and I can rest on God's promises. We need to know that. So then out of that can come some very logical questions about the way God operates to say, okay, Pastor Mike, I, I kind of get what Paul's saying here, that, that it's God who is sovereign over salvation. And it is God who is sovereign over even who comes to know him as Savior. And that boggles our mind, and we don't even understand all that. And the question could be something like this, okay, what about prayer? I mean, do the, do the passionate prayers of a, for example, mother for their lost daughter or lost son, do those prayers even matter if God is sovereign? And God's going to do what he wills. It, it, it doesn't matter, right? Or what about personal evangelism? What about our responsibility of sharing the message of the gospel of Christ? If God is sovereign, like Paul says in Romans 9, 
Why do things like that even matter? And what about personal faith? And what about repentance? How does all that fit in? And then you come to Romans 10. And some of these things in our minds seem to be in conflict. The, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and how all those things work out. And that's why I said, listen, this, this series, 9 through 11, it's, five, it's not just five different messages. It's one big message. So you're going to have more questions than you have answers. You don't understand Romans 10 without Romans 9. You don't understand Romans 9 without Romans 10. So then you come to Romans 10. And following a chapter where the Bible declares as clearly as anywhere in Scripture the absolute sovereignty and free choice of God, you come to Romans 10 and Paul declares and says this, it begins with a passion prayer for the lost and those that don't know Christ. And there is this challenge and this admonition, how in the world will anyone ever believe unless they've been told, unless they've heard the message of the gospel? And how will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? And all this begins to tie in together. And then you come to Romans 10, 13, and this is going to kind of be our pivot verse. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And some would even conclude, and I've had some of these emails over the last couple of days, some would conclude, well, listen, Pastor Mike, if, you, if you're believing in Romans 9 that God is absolutely sovereign over salvation, which we do, then you can't believe Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has no problem with Romans 9 and the truth and Romans 10 working perfectly together. I do. I, I can't figure it all out. But we don't take one section of Scripture and pull it out and say, oh, we've got God figured out. No, no, no. The whole counsel of God. So Romans 10, 13 declares this, and this is going to be our, our big truth this morning. And here it flows out of 10, 13. It's this. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that might lead you to conclude after last week and all we've walked through, okay, so... God's sovereignty, which is, is glorious in Scripture. I don't understand all of it. But yet, man is fully responsible. How does all that work? These two seem to be in conflict. How do you reconcile those two? My answer is a man named Charles Spurgeon who said this. Spurgeon, when he was asked, he said, How do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's absolute responsibility? Here's what Spurgeon said. I never have to reconcile friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. <laughs> they get along just fine. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together, he confessed. Where these two truths meet, I don't know, nor do I even want to know or have to know. They do not puzzle me since I have given up my mind to believing both. In other words, we submit to what God declares to be true in his word. They may not all fit together perfectly in my understanding, and I'll just tell you, they don't. But God's word is not in conflict with itself. And I assure you, God is not in conflict with himself. So you get to Romans 10 to balance all of this out and to get more of an understanding. And remember, let me just say this again as an admonition. Not to figure out how everything works, but to take a step back and in awe of who God is in his greatness. That's the point. If our aim is to figure out how everything works together, and if this, oh, no, no, no. Paul wants us to know who God is as the one who will keep his word and his word will not fail. That's the point of Romans 9 and 10. Okay? 
So with all that, let's look at verse 1 of Romans 10, and we're going to walk through a few verses, make a couple uh, application points, and then we're going to move into a season of prayer together, all right? So verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. Who's the them? Specifically, he's talking about the Jews, people of Israel that do not believe in Messiah. He says, my prayer for them is that they may be saved. Now, I want you to just pause right there for a minute and remember all that we've gone over in Romans chapter 9. And here's Paul launching out in Romans 10, the very next verse. And the first thing he says is, I am pleading, I am praying to God for the souls of my countrymen who have not received Messiah. I'm praying they'll be saved. In other words, it seems to not be a problem for Paul at all to believe and accept and to know God is absolutely sovereign over salvation, but yet God has, watch this, this is huge, God has chosen to carry out his purposes through the prayers of God's people. God has chosen to carry out his purpose. God is sovereign over the end and God is sovereign over the means. He says, I'm going to carry out my purposes through the prayers of God's people. Paul gets that and he's praying for the salvation of those around him, believing it matters. So here's the question. Pastor Mike, again, I don't even know if I can fit all this together in my mind. I understand that. But here's the way God presents it. Here's the question that comes up from time to time. So Mike, if you really believe in God's absolute sovereignty, then why in the world do we bother praying? To which I, as I've got to try to think through that and, and flip it around, I say, I say this. I, th- I got a better question. Why in the world do you bother praying if God's not sovereign? Because I assure you, in your prayer closet, when you are pleading to God for your son or daughter, or for your mother or father, or for whoever comes to your mind right now that does not know Christ, you are praying and depending and leaning into the sovereignty of God. You are not praying, Lord, I I love my brother, and God, I'm praying my brother would if it's not too inconvenient, and if it doesn't, you know, go against his will, and if it all works out, Lord, could you just maybe try to figure out a way to put the part, maybe he'll, no, you pray this way, God save him. That's the way we pray. And I think that's the way we should pray, and I think it's the way Paul prays, but Paul realizes God chooses to use the prayers of his people to bring men and women into saving faith. It's the means he has chosen to bring it about. Paul understands that. He says, my my heart's prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. Verse 2, quickly. For I bear witness that they, the Jewish people, have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We can relate to this in the South, I think, sometimes. They had a zeal, this religious fervor, but yet they didn't truly know their God. Paul says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, Paul's making a case here, and he's teaching the the case of the Jewish people and their perspective. It's not just Jewish people. It's it's all lost people, but particularly Jews. He says, 
Here's what they do. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God. They've sought to establish their own righteousness. Let me give you a picture of that. Paul says, here's their issue. They see God as much, 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 much less than he is, and they see themselves as much, much, much more than they really are, and they believe they can bridge the gap between themselves and God by their own righteousness. Any type of belief or system that it says or espouses you can earn your way to God or get there by your own obedience or get there by your baptism or church membership or anything you want to fill in that blank is basically saying God is simply not as righteous as he really is and I'm a whole lot better than I think I am and that gap is very small and I can bridge it on my own efforts. Paul says no. God is gloriously, infinitely righteous. We are depraved and wicked, and the gap between the two is infinitely broad. It cannot be bridged by our own good deeds or our own religious zeal. And Paul says, the Jewish people, that's where they've been living. They think they can bridge that gap, and what they're doing is bringing God down, and they're elevating themselves. And then he says, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. How do you bridge that gap between a perfectly righteous God and depraved men and women? Christ, Christ, Jesus only. It says Moses even writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments should live by them. In other words, you want to trust in the law? Then you've got to keep every one of them perfectly because that's what you're depending on, but nobody can. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss, verse 7, that is to bring Christ up. What? Pastor Mike, I've read this before. I don't even, what's he talking about here? Here's what he's saying. You are complicating the way of salvation. And you're trying to come up with some religious odyssey. You're saying things like, if I could just ascend to heaven, then I would, uh, uh, there's this odyssey or this journey that I could go on. Or if I could go down into the pit. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. But what does, the faith, what does the message of faith say? The word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. The message of the gospel is not complicated. He's quoting Deuteronomy here of the message that has been proclaimed to the particularly the people of Israel and to us as well from the very beginning. It is the message of faith in the person and work of the Messiah, Christ alone. Faith alone. And that message is here. It's in your ear. It's in your mouth. Don't complicate it by making it a human effort or a human endeavor. It is faith. So Paul has three little big ideas, if you will, that come out of the big truth. Here's your first one. We're going to have three. Here's the first one. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Stop right there. If we as God's people really believe that is a reality, then it changes how we read the rest of this chapter. Because if we believe that the Bible teaches, which I do, will die on this hill, that the only way a person is ever right with God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ, then we're going to take what Paul says in the rest of this chapter very seriously. Then how in the world can they ever believe in one whom they've never even heard? How can someone ever place faith in Christ when they've never even heard the message of the gospel? So don't believe in salvation by faith alone merely as a theological position that we hold to. It ought to be a reality that propels us to action if we really think the only way my brother is ever going to be right with God is if he knows the message of the gospel. i got to take it to him.
i got to take it to him. And as I take it to him, I'm pleading with you, God, save his soul. Use me in the process. And that's what Paul's saying here. He goes on, he says, salvation, our first big idea is by faith in Christ alone. He backs it up, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Faith has an object. Faith has a substance. Faith is not some empty, amorphous, well, I just believe, or I walked an aisle, I prayed this prayer. Okay, that's not the object of your faith. The object of your faith is verse 9. Jesus is Lord, and he has been raised from the dead. Here's the point. The object of faith is the person and the work of Christ. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has fully accomplished, and that is the message We are separated from God because of our wickedness. We can never do anything in our own power to bridge that gap. But Christ Jesus, our Lord, the God-man, has come. He bore our sins upon a cross. He went into the grave. He rose from the dead by the power of God to declare who he really is. And it's faith in him and him alone by which we are saved. Paul says that's the message of the gospel. Don't complicate it. Don't make it too difficult. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul writing here to the church at Rome that was made up of Jews and Gentiles, there was some There's some discussion at times, well, is this gospel just for Gentiles? Is this gospel just for Jews? Is this message just for a a certain ethnicity? And Paul says, verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. The message of the gospel does not run along ethnic lines, Paul says. It is global. It is global in its scope and its invitation. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul lays down this reality that rightness with God is through faith in the finished work of Christ and that only. And then he continues on and he says, but you got to understand something. If someone is going to place faith in Christ, they got to hear about Christ. Somebody's got to go tell them. You're here today sitting in this church building, those of you who are believers in Christ, because someone somewhere at some point told you, explained to you the message of the gospel of Christ. And Paul goes on and he says, verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? That verse, if we really believe that Jesus is the only way someone is made right with God, that verse ought to catch our hearts and grip our hearts and compel us to action. And Paul says, faith is the only way a person is made right with God. And by the way, faith comes by hearing the message of the gospel. And that's your next big, big idea. Faith comes by hearing the message of the gospel. How will they believe in whom they've never heard? How do they hear unless someone is declaring or preaching? So Paul's logic here is pretty clear. I'm pleading for the salvation of my brothers and sisters who don't know their Messiah. 
I'm believing that the gospel is available to them, not based on ethnicity. And I'm believing, I'm trusting that they, their faith comes when they hear the message of the gospel. And Paul says, how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And that's the challenge to the church at Rome, and that's the challenge to us. It's not mystical. It's not some kind of strange thing that God does. God saves through the prayers of God's people, and when God's people proclaim the message of the gospel. That's God's method of salvation. God uses people. God uses us. God uses his church. At TCBC, this church, you're going to get sick. If you're new and you're thinking, man, I'm trying to figure out this church, you're going to get tired of hearing probably from us that we prioritize all of us carrying the message of the gospel. We prioritize you are the missionaries. You are the ambassadors. We are the ones entrusted with the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. We, as a church, we, we want to plant churches. We want to reach the unreached. We want to serve the vulnerable. We want to do all of those things. But we have a conviction based on Romans 10 that underneath all of that is gospel proclamation. That it is the message of the gospel that transforms lives forever and ever. And that's what Paul seems to be declaring as well. Verse 14, how will they call on him who they've not believed? How will they believe in him who they've not heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, they are commissioned, they are called out, they are equipped? Every believer in Christ has been sent by the Lord Jesus himself. You have been commissioned, you've been called, you've been set apart. You are part of a local church that wants to do everything possible to equip you to go and tell that neighbor who God has planted you next to the message of the gospel so they will believe. And we happen to trust that God's sovereign purposes undergird every single bit of that and his promises, his purposes will not fail. So we go with that confidence and we go with that responsibility. Verse 15, he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Big idea idea number three is this, and we'll move into a season of prayer. Gospel proclamation has been entrusted to us. So I pray that we, we come out of Romans 9 and we're We're in awe of the vastness and this wonder of God and his purposes and how he carries out his purposes and particularly who he is. And I pray we come to Romans 10 and we're compelled and our hearts are pierced. But wait a minute, underneath everything that happens is God's sovereignty and at the same time, salvation is by faith in Christ alone. There must be a call to faith and repentance. There must be a proclamation of the message of the gospel. Nobody will come to know God through Christ unless they hear about Christ. Nobody. There's not some mystical, magical way God does it. You've got to hear that. Paul says, how will they believe if they've never heard? And that is true on the backside of wherever on the planet you think of is unreachable and unattainable. Maybe that's Mountain City for you. I don't know. Maybe that's Irwin. I don't know. Wherever it is. Where is that dark place on the planet? Wherever that is. That is true there, now watch, and it's equally true, parents, as you open up your Bibles and you walk through the family discipleship plan with your children. Faith comes by hearing, and it may be the regular, repetitious, 
sharing with your kids and having them here as a part of a church that's sowing the seeds of the gospel. It may be those times with your neighbor when you sit down over coffee, whatever it looks like. I'm not trying to sell something like an advertiser. I'm calling you to say, here's what God says. Nobody comes to know God but through faith in Christ. And they'll never place faith in a Christ they've never heard about. And blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. Man, that ought to just that ought to so encourage our hearts. It's this picture, it's out of Isaiah, of this messenger carrying this message of victory. And the townspeople rise up to hear this great message. And the Bible says, listen, there is no greater message your feet could ever carry to anyone else. In the age of instant messaging, in the age of social media and all that we do, we're full of messages. We share messages all the time. Blessed are the feet of those that carry the message that Jesus saves. And for us as a church this morning, we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word only. So here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes together. We're going to enter into a time and a season of just like Romans 9, just like Romans 10 calls us to, we're going to pray together. And I don't want this to be awkward. I know some of you are saying, I don't even know anybody around me. That's okay. You can pray on your own. Or you can maybe join in with somebody. I'm going to invite you in just a few minutes to break up in groups as families or couples or however you want to do that. That's fine. If you're a guest and this is a little bit uncomfortable for you, that's okay. We invite you to be a part. You can just observe. But on a regular basis, we as a church come together to ask God to break our hearts for those that don't know Christ. We're going to take a time in just a minute. We're going to use that little tool, that little three-name card, and we're going to record the names of at least three people in our sphere of influence that don't know Christ. And then we're going to pray together for courage and boldness to be sent out. So I'm going to pray for us, kind of get us going. While I'm doing that, you can kind of get, get however you want to get situated, groups, circles, whatever. Our team's going to come up. They're going to play. Our elders that are going to be walking us through this and our share team, you guys come on down. So I'm going to pray. And then one of our elders will kick us off with a particular topic and then send us into a season of prayer. So pray with me. Lord, thank you again for this morning. God, I pray your word is quick and powerful and pierces our heart today. God, the word is near us. It's in our mouth. It's in our heart. You, you just declared it to us, God, that Father, the only way someone is made right with you is through faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way they know about that is if someone tells them. And you've entrusted that to us. So God, I plead that as we are praying, you are changing us. And I pray eternity is different. Because of the next few minutes of God's people praying together as you've called us to do. We love you in Jesus' name. David. First thing we're going to pray over, and really when you think about what we're going to do, there's three things we're going to pray over, and two of them are going to be really focused on ourselves. Uh, the first one is brokenness over the lost. So I call our attention back to sermon two weeks ago in the passage of Scripture that uh, we read. If you look back at Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Apostle Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing wit 
bearing me wit witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. You'll remember <clears throat> Pastor Mike said two weeks ago, and we just remind ourselves today, there's something desperately wrong if we can share the gospel in a stoic, dispassionate, no-nonsense way without any compassion toward the people that we're sharing the gospel with. And you say, well, how much passion should we have? How much compassion should we have? Well, the Apostle Paul says, I wish I could go to hell so that you people could be saved. That's pretty broken. And you'd look at Paul and you'd say, well, Paul, you know that couldn't, that couldn't happen. Your death and your separation from God, which was talked about in Romans 8, that's not going to save anybody. And he knows it. He said, I, I wish this could be true. Paul, you really don't mean that. Well, that's why he says in verse 1, listen to me. I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I, he's invoking the Son of God and the witness of the Holy Spirit in saying, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. And I'm telling you guys, this is true. I bear witness with the Son of God and the Holy Spirit that it's true. I wish I could just be accursed so that you could be saved. I don't know where you're at, or where I know where I'm at. I don't know where you're at in your brokenness over the loss, but I'm going to venture a guess that a lot of us have a lot of room to grow when we look at the example of the Apostle Paul compared to how deeply grieved we are at those that don't have the benefit of Romans 8 like we do, the no condemnation, the no separation. So our prayer this morning as you're in groups is, again, Focus back on yourself. Pray to God that he will give you a compassion and brokenness for the lost to a similar degree that Paul had and certainly to the degree that God has. So let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning um, acknowledging that you are God and we are not. Lord, you are sovereign. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Lord. Uh, and thanking you, Lord, uh, that your word says that uh, you, did not, did not, you did not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Lord. And so I do, uh, with my brothers and sisters here, just pray uh, that you will uh, convict us, Lord, that you will uh, show us, open our eyes uh, to those uh, people, uh, whether in our homes, our families, friends, loved ones, where we have hobbies and recreation uh, as we come and as we go in our workplace um, here in this uh, church body, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you uh, have given us that ministry of reconciliation, as your word says, um, uh, that you, as though you are pleading through us to be reconciled to God. Uh, so, Lord, please use us. Uh, we thank you that you have filled us and empowered us with the Holy Spirit, uh, and so we know that in you we can do everything according to your will, but apart from you, we can do nothing. Uh, so Lord, uh, go before us, guide us, uh, continue to use us for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. 
so continue in our time uh, together. Uh, I'll be focusing on uh, the necessity of a gospel proclamation. Uh, first, I'll be reading uh, Romans 10, 1, then also verses 11 through 13. Uh, verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we continue in this time, um, we will uh, follow up on what we have heard. Uh, so we've heard uh, this gospel proclamation. Uh, we've read in the word uh, the truth of gospel proclamation, our being used for those purposes. We've sang. Now we're going to go into a season of doing, of acting upon that, very specifically, very personally, within the realm of how the Lord has placed us in our lives, in our families, and where we work. Uh, so I'd ask you to look at the uh, back of the seat in front of you. Um, there should be a card that says, I will make known. I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do with this. So everyone will gather that. Uh, you'll see there are two sides to this card. If you've been with our church for any amount of time, uh, you're familiar with, and Pastor Mike has referenced, our three names. If you've not been with our church, uh, we're basically following uh, God's word, scripture, uh, and asking him and begging him to use us for his namesake and his glory, uh, that there are three individuals in our lives that we're begging for him to use us, to use circumstances, to use other people, for them to come to Christ. So practically speaking, uh, we're going to ask you to fill out uh, one side of the card and then use the same names on the other side of the card. In a few minutes, we're going to tear that apart and then come to the front with one of those cards. Uh, so for these next uh, few minutes, prayerfully consider and make note of the three names and capture it on both sides of the cards, and we'll instruct you a little bit later. Thank you. Gracious Father, we thank you for, for this time that we could gather together to praise you glorify your name for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do Father we pray that you give us hearts that are broken hearts that grieve for those around us who don't know you and Father we just Pray that your love continues to compel us, Father, to take the good news from a place of thankfulness and, and compassion. Father, we just lift up the, the three names before you and, and pray again for your boldness and courage to share the truths of your gospel. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we continue this morning, we'll continue reading from Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then 
will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So considering what we just read, we recognize that we have been entrusted with this good news, the message of the gospel. Paul also mentioned um, elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about this, mess, this ministry sorry, of, of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors for Christ. He also mentions that Christ, his love compels us. And it's from this place that we, we come and, and we go to our neighbors, to the three names we just wrote down. We go locally wherever we are, wherever we work, wherever we live our daily lives. And we also seek to, to advance the gospel globally. So, as we consider these things, let's continue in prayer together, not only for the three names, but also for boldness to continue to share locally and also globally. So let's continue in prayer now. just want to ask you to continue now in a spirit of prayer and we're going to end this last section a little bit different and really just as a way to visibly see that uh, you're not in this alone that sharing the gospel you're part of a family that's doing this together part of a local church that's doing this together so here's what I'm going to ask you to do again in kind of spirit of prayer I'm going to ask you to take those cards tear it in two those name cards you have in just a minute I want to ask you to step up from where you're seated and just lay them along the front here uh, we'll come down together and just remain down here and we're going to pray for one another as a church family. So this time, uh, again, just in the spirit of prayer, let me invite you, slip out from where you are, come on down and just lay them along the front and you keep one and lay there the other one. Stay down here and we'll, we'll pray over one another. So let's do that now. All right, so as others come and lay their cards down and we wrap up this time, I want you to do two things. One, I really want you to take the opportunity and just look around for a second. Look around your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe some you don't see as much and know that you're in this together. These are your brothers and sisters. We're praying for you. You're praying for them. Uh, we have thousands of names laid up on that stage that we're praying for together. And how we as a church can make a massive impact in our community to see these men and women come to know Christ. So I want you to do this. just want us to kind of in a spirit of prayer, just bow our heads and kind of put your hand maybe on the shoulder of a brother or sister around you and uh, don't be weird or awkward or anything like that. We just got to pray for one another. And we're going to pray over each other. We'll have the boldness and courage to go out. And we would see hundreds of people come to know Christ over the next few months and years. So Lord, thank you for this symbol, this picture that we have right now of your church. 
Thank you, Lord, that we are not in this alone. Lord, I pray that we lean into one another. We lean into the power of your spirit. And God, we boldly go and make the gospel known. I pray from this group here, Lord, you will raise up men and women who will cross oceans and cross cultures and go to the ends of the earth to proclaim Jesus. And I pray you'll call out students and moms and dads to reach neighbors who are right across the street. Lord, for your glory, for your name's sake, because Jesus is worth it. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Just make your way back to your seats. Josh and team are going to lead us in song.